Hello, this is Oscar Pareja, and uh, in this special day, I want to congratulate my good, my good friend, Bas, and all the people from Third Degree. Bas, thanks for all the connection that you have done with the people in, in soccer. And your 200 episode, send you a big hug, and all the best. Third Degree in the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, UN's Men's National Team, European gear. They've got it all. Check out all the new FC Dallas stuff. Heavy Dallas burn flavor. You got to love it. 20% off. Use code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions apply. You never know who you're going to hear from on Third Degree the Podcast. Like maybe Dan Hunt. Hey, Third Degree. I want to give you a quick shout out for your 200th episode. What an awesome accomplishment. And thanks so much for telling the story of soccer, not just in uh, Dallas with SC Dallas, but across MLS and across the globe. So keep doing what you're doing, and I'm looking forward to the next 200. Hey, thanks, Dan Hunt. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to, yes, drumroll. Let's see, fanfare, applause, horns, party hats galore. It is episode 200 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter. And partying along with me, first off, the man with the greatest beard in North Texas, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. Hello. Happy 200th. Yeah, happy 200th to you too, my friend. And of course, the real person we should be celebrating, it is uh, your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of Third Degree, and this podcast, and the .NET, Buzz Carrick, come in Buzz. Hi, Peter. I, I cannot believe, actually, that we made it to 200. <laughs> I wasn't sure when we started this thing that we would all get here, but it's exciting to be here. Hopefully this is just we're, the beginning. We're very thankful for the 37 people that listen to the podcast each <laughs> yeah. week, aren't we? Well, it's more than that, but yeah. Oh, it is? Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. Well, very good. Well, it's congratulations. Congratulations to you both. We made it to episode number 200. That's a big deal. And uh, um, Buzz, uh, a good friend on Discord, Mo, is... Uh, purchased us a bottle of nice bourbon to to toast that uh that is sitting in my kitchen right now the next time oh. that we see each other we will have to have a toast yeah yeah for sure is it is it uh bacon flavored again it's not and it didn't come warm in a uh mason jar either oh, yeah okay All right. <laughs> that was my delivery in a mason jar i had to figure out how to split it up dan and the mason jar seemed appropriate last time maybe buzz set you hooch <laughs> no, it was uh, bacon. definitely a bacon flavoring. Yeah, yeah. Bacon flavored hooch. All right, very good. Well, I'm glad they were all in a really, really good mood, but uh, not to be the proverbial buzzkill. Mm. Uh, but uh, holy crap, Buzzard. Uh, I, I got to say, that was one of the most uh, concerning starts to an FC Dallas season I can remember in a very long time as Dallas loses to a torn up and not complete Minnesota <laughs> one to nothing at home. Yeah. Sometimes as I, as I tweeted, I think maybe like 30 to 40 minutes into the game, sometimes I hate being right. And it's not just me, all of us on this podcast talked a lot about some of the issues that were clear as day in this game. 
Um, you know, the, the biggest of which is if you kind of stand pat, you're going to get passed by. Um, you know, some of the things that we were seeing in the limited amount of preseason game we got sort of made us a little nervous about some things and those things are either head. On the other hand, it is just one game. It is a season opener. It's not the end of the world, uh, but definitely not the start you would want. Definitely uh, uh, Minnesota has always caused Dallas problems with their mid to low block that they play. They love to stymie the middle of the field. It's amazing. More teams don't try and do this to Dallas. There are some that do other than Minnesota. It's really effective. It's against this club in particular, just like we see it against the U.S. national team because we're playing the same system. Both those teams do. So it's not surprising that it's a bit astonishing for the Dallas system. But um, yeah, certainly confirming all the concerns we had. And we'll talk about, probably talk about a lot of them. Um, and definitely not what we sort of had hoped would happen, but probably what we all should have known was going to happen. Yeah, Dan, uh, you know, we I think we can all get stuck on the agreement that uh, Dallas really sucks at playing against teams that play this way, and it's uh, concerning that we're here another season into this and they don't look to be any better at it. But really, frankly, for me, and I'm interested in your perspective since you were actually at the game, I was shocked at just how bad all the players were individually. I mean, I could, I think I could, I don't know if you guys will agree, but the only player I thought that even had vaguely a good game was Paxton. And again, he got substituted for reasons I'm not sure. Um, and everybody else just, man, they were really not sharp. They didn't look ready to go. And it was uh, not a good performance, was it? No, I, I would say the only other one that you would say, you could say was not bad was, was, was Marco Farfan. Uh you know, your, your bright spot of the entire game, it felt like, was uh, Giovanni Jesus for 20 minutes. That's that's how kind of dire things were. Does this have anything to do with Nico's, uh, the thing that we kept get, getting uh, shoved back at us in the B-roll of from the club, which is the videotape that I saw used multiple times where Nico's saying, compla- talking about complacency. Is that why suddenly now complacency is something he's talking about publicly, Buzz? Because he thinks they're being complacent? Oh, it's certainly something you have to battle. You know, when you have a good season, you know, a lot of the players expect there to be another good season again. And you, you can't just expect that to happen. You have to make it happen. So I, I imagine the first season, you know, we talked a lot, of, uh, he talked a lot about the process. You know, they talked a lot about trying to find, you remember the preseason press conference, there was a lot of talk about moves are going to be about guys that fit the system, you know? So now he's on to the next level, which is getting guys locked in, you know, and not, not uh, willing to just sort of accept things as they come. You know, a lot of the things that are, were problems in this game, I think you rightly say come from that idea of just like that it would just be fine. You know, uh, I think there's some, something to be said for the amount of tinkering of groups and combos and um, even tactics that we saw in the spring. Granted, some of that will be alleviated by the fact that everybody makes the playoffs now. But um, so maybe there isn't quite the imperative as there might have been to start the season gangbusters. But um, at the same time, uh, I think you could see a combination of guys that were slightly limited by a couple of preseason knocks and then other guys that maybe just thought, Oh, we'll pick up right where we were when you do have one or two, not a lot of differences, but one or two is enough sometimes to make things kind of go a little wonky. And that clearly has happened. So um, I don't really don't know where to go with this. I, I just, I'm Minnesota's not, I mean, that one let's let's, can we all agree that was a miserably not entertaining game in any way, shape or form? Well, yeah, Minnesota missing Reynoso is not good. And so like the fact that you lost to them, 
even though you had more of the play by a considerable margin and more of the chances they I think the club rolled out the whole XG thing at the end of the game. Oh, they certainly did. Yeah. That was that was the benefit uh, the the pro that he, that Nico was talking about afterwards. Yeah, you know, sometimes there's there's technically winning the XG and then there's like, come on, that's not real. You know, it ended up officially being one of 11 shots on goal. Well, number one, 11 shots on goal is not enough for a home game. So pure chance creation wasn't there. And then one on target of 11, this is a club. We talk about it all the time. High percentage finishing. They need 50% on target. One of 11 isn't going to get it done. So, you know, back to front, whether it be your center backs that had the ball stuck under their feet and couldn't move it fast enough, whether it be your holding mid who wasn't showing enough and playing too static and just passing sideways all day. Now, again, Minnesota clogs the middle, so it may be that passing sideways was the only available play. You know, but they weren't having a lot of joy going around the outside either. The chances they got came around the outside, mostly on the right. I think they were at 50-something, 51% of the play down the right. I mean, it was so lopsided. Um, you know, it just just all across the board, uh, disconnected and not flowing. You know, our, our mental memory says that coming off the back of last season, things look like this. And then three months later of not playing – why should we have expected it to be like it was three months later, right? It should be disconnected. That's, that's okay. You know, but definitely have to recognize that it is disconnected and it's not flowing and it's not working as it, we saw in that game. Now, the only real problem is if there's no progression, you know, if they take that, what they clearly saw as problems, they work on it and they get better then then we're okay. But that's why one game is not the end of the world, but you, you definitely can't watch that game and think to yourself, Oh no, it's fine. No, no, it's definitely not fine. You know, it's not the end of the world, but it's not fine either. Buzz, Jeff Kassar here. Uh, just want to say congratulations on your 200th uh, episode uh, of your podcast. You're an OG from Dallas Burn to FC Dallas, and uh, you've covered the team so well. And uh, just want to say congratulations on all your success, and uh, let's go FC Dallas. Well, I, you know, obviously one of the things that we talked a lot about in the weeks leading up to the season was the loss of Matt Hedges and whether or not that turned to be that's going to turn out to be a good or bad decision on the club's part. You know, replacing him with Ibby is a question we all wondered how that was going to turn out. And ugh, boy, that guy uh, left a lot to be desired, Buzz. Very disconcerting. And, and, and I guess the general question I have is, can you can anybody look at themselves in the mirror and go, yeah, this team's actually better than it was? last season well the, the to answer the first part of that question is like look this is one of those things that we talked about all winter right I, I i'm not trying to trash the guy but when you're talking about a dude that only once in his career has played more than 12 games in mls the dude's was his backup he's a career journeyman mls backup i watched a player play that to me is a career journeyman backup right if you have to use them okay but it's not the thing that's going to take you to the cup, in my opinion, that kind of play. You know, he, he did it for LAFC, but he didn't start 30 games, and they got a lot of other really good players. So, right. uh, you know, hey, that's you got what you paid for. Budget, you know, money talks. Was he right? on the Matt was Hedges he on the paid. NYCFC team that won MLS Cup, or was he, he was prior to that? Traded just before the playoffs that ah, year. Okay, all right. I wonder so if technically he, got a, he was on two winning teams. Yeah, I wonder if he got a ring for that season. You should based on percentage of play. Yeah, it depends sorry. on what they do when those vote shares or things or not or whatever. I don't know how New York set things up, but the the, the bottom line is the guys. You know, the, the, you can look at the salary on the MLSPA and it tells you the caliber player he is. Right, he's not a million dollar center back. He's a three hundred thousand dollar center back. It is what it is. Good guy, good locker room guy, a guy that can start some games when you need to. Not the underpinnings of a championship team, in my opinion. So, 
when you watch that game, you can see the, the, the aging triangle of Martinez, Facundo, and him, all 30-plus, all moving the ball too slowly, not pr- keeping the pace up. You know, I, I, whether a person thinks he should start or not might depend on what you think of Nikosi. I would have started Nikosi last game. I would start Nikosi next game. We'll find out if Ibiaga gets it again. But then, you know, there's a question to be discussion to be had about Facundo and Edwin Sarrio too. So, I think as well, you look at uh, Ibiaga, new to the team, you know, doesn't have the, the world of like MLS match play experience. And you're asking him, and this is probably one of the things that was so underrated in Matt Hedges' game. You're effectively asking him to play two positions because Emma Tumasi just. Should not have been on the field at all. Um, it was funny. Uh, the first thing I saw when uh, Giovanni Jesus came on, Ibiaga tucks inside nearly ten yards. That's how much he was. That's how far he was out of position trying to cover that position. You know, trying to cover for Emma standing around in the midfield most of the day. I, I want to say something about Emma because I thought when I saw him on Tuesday the week before that he looked labored and stiff in training. And I also thought that of Sebastian Legette. Now, both those guys had multiple knocks in spring training and didn't play all that many spring training games. Yet coach went with them. I specifically asked about Sebastian today in training because he still looks stiff to me. And coach said, you know, we're trying to push him back towards more volume minutes coming off of those knocks. So again, I, I'm not, I, there, there's a certain amount of willingness by the coach in this game to play guys they were his guys last season and starting and trying to push them back to full health and back to hundred percent in game. So they clearly chose to do that. Now, you know, if this is late in the season, would you have made that same choice? I don't, I don't know. He might not have, but you know, both of those guys, like people talked about, wow, where's, where's legit. He's vanished out of this game. Yeah. His, he was limited mobility and I still looked like it. It was so bad in training today. I actually was like, why does Sebastian legit look like he can't run? You know, and he can run. I'm exaggerating for effect, but, you know, <laughs> both he and Emma, I thought were like questionable at best, you know, to be in there and you could watch him play and looked like not sure that was the right call. Yeah, I, I did wonder if part of the reason why he chose to start to Amase was because he didn't want to throw two new players on the field next to each other in the back Fair. line. Yeah. But then I would also ask the question, why did he decide to start um, Ibby over to Farai? Uh, you know, I and is that an indicator of what he thinks about Tafari or does that mean, uh, you know, Tafari is not playing or not in very good form yeah. right now? I mean, that's that's a that's pretty concerning. I mean, this is also the same guy that, you know, uh, really, really loves uh, uh, Martinez. And I'm, I'm not a big fan. So, yeah, yeah I, I've been thinking about this question. By the way, I did ask last week about Nikosi and he said Nikosi's taking a big step forward this winter. So, I mean, I, I couldn't believe he didn't start. But I, I've been trying to think about why I sometimes have trouble with the way this coach picks players. And and I think I've kind of come to a conclusion that because um, coach Nico Steves is, is European in his pedigree, he wants players that don't make mistakes so he he's thinking I can get players seriously. He's thinking well, he's got himself. a problem because he had ten of them out there that right. were just turning the ball well, over left and right. Well, let me get through <laughs> it. Right, that's the thing. It's like he's leaning towards these veteran, experienced players that he hopes are going to be mentally dialed in, understand the shape and the system, understand the tactic, and not make mental errors. He doesn't like kids. 
clearly, right? And inexperienced yeah. players. We can clearly see that by his choices. Not what he says, by his choices. I, on the other hand, know that in a grand picture of things, anyone in this league sucks. And okay, it doesn't, they don't suck. But what I'm saying is the chance of you having a flawless mistake-free player in this league is very, very slim. Those guys cost immense amounts of money. So I would rather have a guy that has recovery pace and athleticism that when he does make a mistake, because everyone in this game is going to make a mistake, he has the ability to recover from it. So like I would always pick Nikosi over a guy who's 31, 32, knowing that both players are going to make mistakes. Nikosi might be able to get over it. So that, I think that's the difference between the way I look at selection. And he looks at selection. Granted, he's a professional coach and I'm not, but uh, sometimes I, I have struggled. I struggle with, why he's picking guys that I think are worse in terms of your chance to win the game. Well, Dan, I, you know, obviously, and we can talk about this later. A a lot of what I was watching this weekend was more tied to the, uh, the new technology, technological experience of uh, MLS season pass and thinking about those things and not really paying as close attention to the game. But I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wondering if in the stadium, the team's inability to just simply connect passes and, and sustain any sort of t- attack was as obvious in person as it was on television. Yeah, it certainly was. It was a little bit, um, almost jarring, uh, when, when Nico has his press conference and, you know, you've, you've kind of heard the moans and groans all game and the atmosphere has been completely flat because the performance has been flat and he gets in and he says, yeah, it was a typical first game of the season, really. Um, you know, after losing the first home opener in 14 years, um, yeah, I don't know. There was there was one team that was starting at season and one team that was halfway through preseason. Is, is the way it is the way it looked in the way just the, the way they connected. Yeah, I was. Uh, I mean, some of the things that I thought were most concerning, and one of the players I was most uh, bothered by was Jesus. Well, the Jesus Ferreira. I, I, you know, his like but when balls finally got played to him, he'd misplay it or mistrap it, and he just didn't seem to be on his game. And I thought that was, and and you know. A, I have a worry that this team's going to go as Mr. Ferreira goes this year uh, or Ferreira goes this year. And so it wasn't a good start. But, you know, here's the good news, guys. Hold on. I did a little research. I think if my numbers and my research are correct, uh, Dallas has only lost their opening home game uh, when they have the first game of the season at home four times in this club's history. And of three of those four times, uh, in 02, 01, and in 97, they ended up third in the Western Conference. Uh, and in fact, obviously, 97 is the year they won the U.S. Open Cup, uh, their first piece of trophy. It was their last time when they lost as a and the only time they had previously lost as an FC Dallas club at home in opening game, which was back in 09. And uh, they went 11, 13 and six and did not make the playoffs. But that's only one out of four times. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, 2009 was the last time they lost a home opener. Was that 13 straight? I think it was. So yeah, I mean, you know, again, one game, not the end of the world. But but the three other times they lost, they made the playoffs <laughs> oh, yeah, and they were third in the West. So we're fine, right? We yeah. got nothing to worry about. Well, well one game is no big deal. We'll reconvene after this weekend against LA. Peter, nine teams <laughs> make the playoffs. It's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Remind me. Well, after this last yeah, week, do you uh, you're not worried that they yeah. may not be one of those nine? Mark tape. No, no, I'm I'm not. Um, I, a big picture, I think, you know, there's a couple of things, but I think overall, you know, a lot of the talent is good enough. You know, uh, this team has consistently made the playoffs for years and years and years, you know, with its 
the the bottom line is that the the homegrown conveyor belt adds a level of talent that low budget teams a lot of them don't take advantage of Dallas drafts and they use homegrowns and they sign low budget players they're not LAFC but that extra piece that like for example the Dynamo don't use is the difference between FC Dallas and the Dynamo is the homegrown paper mm-hmm. right. so that's still true they still have this base of talent that other budgetish teams don't have so that's I'm sure it'll be fine knock on wood all right, so you had uh, listed Paxton Pomacall as your man of the match, and uh, that does feel like tallest kindergartner. But he did, as I said at the beginning, felt like he was maybe one, the only one, and uh, Dan said Farfan maybe the other, that had a good match. Yep. Paxton did feel like there was a little bit something different to his game that we were missing last year. Yeah, as Dan has pointed out multiple times, you know, we're now two years on from the surgery. This is when we should get peak Paxton back. The thing I in particular liked is the thing that we have always said was slightly missing from Paxton's game, which is the final little piece of assist or shot. And so the, the fact that Paxton had like the most and best opportunities out of midfield. Now, he didn't convert, but... That those those bursts forward, that acceleration forward, those moments of of uh, opportunity creation, when, when he has those is when he's at his best. And so seeing those back, it's been a long time since we've seen that stuff. And so that was good step forward, in my opinion. Again, one game, but I, I liked what I saw from him beyond just the, his normal energizer bunny. All right. Dan, anybody that you really were worried about other than I- I- Ibby um, that, uh, and Tuamase? I think you also brought him up. Anybody else you want to discuss performance uh, of the game yeah jesus but i was gonna say actually uh I which one to paxton the only one whose name is jesus oh sorry <laughs> yeah uh mic drop <laughs> Boom. fair enough he got me Anywho, uh yeah uh jesus was was concerning very concerning uh what i was gonna say is i did get a chance to speak to paxton after the game uh about his performance and the fact that you know he was getting forward more he'd spoken in the past about you know wanting to get on take control of the game get goals get assists and you know and he was getting forward he was getting that final pass he was getting in positions to shoot um effectively uh you know obviously we can we can put a good bit of that down to uh, sebastian Lejet being somewhat immobile um due to Knox. but um effectively they said you know there, there really isn't much of a plan for them they uh play pretty similarly and it's just kind of a whoever's you know, whoever's not picking up the mark makes the run. There's not a whole lot of communication. It's just kind of a trying to read the game. Um, so maybe Paxton will be a little bit more selfish and get himself further up the field this year after, uh, you know, he had that great chance in the first half. Uh, it'd be great to uh, to, to see him be the player that we know he can be. Um but uh, yeah, you'd mentioned uh, concerns. Uh, Jesus, Jesus did not have a touch in the box for the first hour of that game. He, I think he only had one or two by the end of it. His uh, best contributions were the cross to to Paxton early on, uh, the corner. The I can't think who it was put it over. Oh, it might have been Elijah. Um But his best contributions were out wide. I know he's playing that false nine role, but. The you know the false nine. The whole point is that the wingers come in over him, and the nine you know gets forward with or without the ball, and he's just not he's not doing that last part. If you look at his heat map in the last game, it reads the same as any eight. 
he spends most of his time within 15 yards of the center circle. At some point, he was in the right-back position. He was getting deeper and deeper, trying to search for balls and and just not effective in the attack at all. Yeah, you know, this all feels a little bit like a blowback to the old Blas Perez days when Blas used to, like, show up <laughs> deep in their own half of the field. And you'd have a conversation. Blas would get forward after the fact. He okay. would he would make a run on the ball, and Jesus isn't doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, completely fair. But I but isn't the cause of that fundamentally a player who's frustrated that when he when they are up in their proper position, they just are never given the ball. So, so while they are in, they're probably wrong for tracking back as much as they are. There is a larger problem at hand, which is. It's an offense that just can't seem to get the nine, the ball in the in the right pl- in in the spot we all want him to get the ball. Uh, I mean, he's got he's got to get in that spot at some point, and he's just you know he starts the game, drifts back, drifts wide. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you, you you're yeah. Maybe you have a better view of it in person than I do on television. I just I feel like I see Jesus up leading the line a lot of the times, and just nobody either chooses or can get him the ball. That's how I thought I saw. I mean, I, that was a big problem last year, and I, that's what I thought was a pretty big problem this year, this this last week, which was they just kept turning the ball over as soon as they got to midfield. Yeah, he, he comes hunting for it when he's not getting it. Um, the part that bothered me the most was the sort of gesticulation and the yelling at teammates stuff, which is old. Hey, Seuss, and like seeing that, and I, I asked Coach about that, and he acknowledged that. But he did say he's had, he had two really good conversations with Jesus this week. You know, to sort of try and get him back on the same page and and um, and, and get back that mentality he had last year, where he was being, you know, uh, moving past things and not dwelling on things and being in the moment, being present, and and you know, I, I think there's probably pressure on Jesus to reproduce last year's numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's real pressure or it's just he's perceiving that. I think that, that it has to be made clear to him that that the success of this team is not based on whether Jesus scores 18 goals or not. You know, what matters is winning. So if Jesus has less goals, but they win more games, that's fine. You know, it, it's it's figuring out how to work in the team concept, which admittedly was a, a complete brownout against uh, the Loons. You know, so he has to understand that you cannot come back that far back hunting the ball. It's definitely a symptom of not getting enough uh, passes into his feet in the right positions, for sure. So it's a team concept problem, and they'll need to work on it going forward. But Jesus can't make it worse by running away from the middle either. Yeah. And and it'll, the big question will be how will Jimenez affect all that as we move forward, and which is questions for other days perhaps, but definitely something we'll have to keep an eye on. So we did get a little bit of a preview of that. We got that last uh, few minutes yep. with Mulatto playing as the second striker. And, you know, Jesus suddenly he starts leading the line. Suddenly he's, you know, he's staying high. He's not tracking back too much. Uh, you know, it, it, that may be the move for him. Yeah, I think I, we had a patron ask if I saw anything at training that said, you know, what they might be thinking of long term with those two guys. And the training, no. But in the game, yes, that, that switch to that two-striker system with Mulatto filling in for where Jimenez would be. Um, I think is a direct, like, we're going to mix this in, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game as we try and get Jimenez in here because it might be the better option in the long run. Who's the sacrifice if they make that tactical shift? Well, that's complicated. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it depends. Uh, you know, there's, there's so far when I've talked to Coach about these various things, he's talked a lot about the added games this year. 
the added Leagues Cup and the added playoff games, meaning that the load's going up for everybody. And they've made a conscious effort, it seems, you know, and you, you can put to the, point to the Sam Junka signing as an example of this, to overload in certain positions that are high workload positions because they feel like they have an extra load this year. So uh, I don't think there's going to be a definitive answer on this is the way we play with these 11 guys. Some games, it'll, it might be two guys. It might be one. It might be the other. Jesus might be back. You know, maybe there's a double pivot look. And there's, there's a bunch of different things that they're looking at. You know, and from game to game to game, it might change, which is takes smart players. But this coach likes smart players. So we'll, we'll see how they do. Hmm. Okay. Hey, guys. It's Johan Gomez. You may know me from my Chum Chat podcast or my FC Dallas youth career. I just want to take a moment to give a huge congratulations to Buzz and the whole Third Degree staff on their 200th podcast episode. It's been a long time coming. They've been giving us the best DTID content for a long time. I remember being in the academy and always reading what Third Degree had to say. Um, I know they gave me a good analysis of my brother as well. So they've been doing this for a long time. Here's the 200 more, guys. Keep it up. Congrats. Well, the other topic that I wanted to talk about uh, was... Uh, the the whole issue about the three center midfielders because you know you've you've got three positions that they play and I and and you've got uh, in one of them you've got an issue of which of the two guys you have available are the right one to start and in the other it's like you just don't have enough people <laughs> to cover that those two positions over the course of the season after they traded Cervania and Paxton and and I you don't foresee that Paxton and uh, legit both are going to play 90 minutes a game. Obviously, they pulled Paxton out early in this. And the only player they have left to fill that role is Ensebling. And, you know, and I love the effort and I love the uh, the passion, but guys just not very good when you get within 30 yards of goal. Are, are you asking, are they going to replace Brandon Cervania? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of the question about these <laughs> yeah. three center parts is it, I guess my, I'm sorry, I'm rattling on yeah. the, the middle of the field for this team is a big problem. Yeah. The, the short term answer is they are not going to replace Brandon Cervania. Uh, they have between combinations of Jesus coming back and Jimenez going in like they did last year, a lot with um, Frank O'Hara um, Velasco can come inside um, probably even Paul Ariel can come inside. I've seen uh, Bernard Camungo play inside. They've got guys that can do that. Ima Tomasi used to do that a lot. Um, I'm not saying that's the answer, but you know th- those guys are all possibilities. The other component of that answer is that uh, they have a lot of k- people in this organization that they want to be progressing through. Uh, we saw Andre Costa a lot in spring training. He's a North Texas player. Um, there's a kid from the U17 team whose name is Ali Uzura who I've been talking about for a couple of years now. Uh, he was a little bit further down my list, but as the people have aged and he's improved, he's now very high on my homegrown list. He was in first team training again today. He's been in a lot of first team training. Coach says he's going to be in a whole lot of first team training because he's basically at the top of the next up kind of list for them now. And he's an eight. He's like Paxton. So he's not a homegrown know, yet. Though, he's correct? not homegrown yet. But, you know, they have an organizational philosophy that they want to be able to bring in various people. And there's a list of about five or six of them with the use between the 17s and the 19s that they want to bring in from time to time. Ali Asura being the top one. But um, that doesn't help you in the game, of course. The game answers what I said before about there's like five different people. And so for this coach, rather than a straight swap, if they need to guy out of there, it's these other kinds of swaps. It's a bringing in Bernie and moving Allen inside. It's bringing in Jimenez and bringing Jesus back. It's going with Facundo and Edwin both 
And, and one of those guys being more of an eight than a six, you know, more of a double pivot kind of look if Jesus is dropping deep, for example. So um, he has multiple options. He doesn't seem concerned right now about the fact he's only got three eights. Um, you know, they never replaced Thomas Roberts for that matter either. This is the position I thought I would have been saying was Legette's backup that's missing, you know, that they needed that rather than three guys that were like Paxton. So I think they're okay. I think the balance is all right for now. We'll see how it goes. It may be that they decide they need somebody eventually and they have another win. They have, there's only like a month left in this window anyway, and then they got another summer window to do stuff too. Uh, and I know you went to training earlier today. We're recording on Wednesday. Yep. Uh, any Anything to report from there, sir? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of the work today was on breaking down a block, as you would imagine. Uh, a lot of <laughs> emphasis on pace of ball movement. A lot of pushing really quick drills, like move. Okay, ball's in. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Like pushing those center backs and the six and the, and the various combinations of moving the ball around the back with alacrity and getting a, a higher pace of play. I got to ask about the captain because people, a couple people had asked me about whether Nico picked or whether it was a vote, and it was a vote. So he, Nico asked the, the the leadership council, which is a group of people, whether what they would like to do, they would like the coach to pick or they wanted the players to vote. They chose player vote, and Paul was elected by the players' captain. So good for Paul, very cool, and and uh, Paxton Jesus too as vice captains. That was all part of the vote. So the other, the fun part for me was, of course, scouting both Sam Junka and Jesus Jimenez for the first time. So let's talk about those two guys. Uh, Sam Junka is a um, capable left back. He's not as good right this minute, of course, as Marco Farfan, but he was definitely up for that level of play. I think there would not be that big of a drop off if he got in. He definitely looks like a guy to me right now, even capable of starting if you need him to. Um is not dialed in with the team concepts yet, but that's to be expected. They only signed him like five days ago. So uh, serviceable player, uh, good player, defensive first, but can run the line. He did some of that, got some crosses in. So solid, solid piece. I, I like that addition. Don't expect him to start a lot, but if you reduce Farfan's starts by four or five and drop his minutes by 500 or so, that's a win. That's fantastic. Now, Jesus Jimenez, I want to talk about because the last two international strikers I've seen come in are Cobra and Franco Hara. And my Cobra instant reaction was, holy crap, this dude's terrible. <laughs> and he was terrible. And Dan will vouch for this in training. He was terrible for like six or seven months. And Lucci never gave up on him. And he finally found a way to be of value. And then when I saw Franco Hara in training, my, whole, my first thought was, holy shit, this guy's slower than dirt. What and was so your Christian was, Coleman instant reaction? Do you remember that one? Uh, Christian Coleman is, was one of those training guys that looked fabulous and amazing in training and then couldn't do it in a game. Right. So That's he right. was, uh, you know, opposite of that. Um, but this guy, uh, right away, I felt quite good about. Um, so let's talk about the kind of player he is. He is not a post-up Blas Perez, like back a center back down. He's not that. He's not a track star, Jeff Cunningham, run by people. He's also not slow. He's average pace, uh, really good, runs a higher line than Jesus, good movement in and out of space, good reading of the game. He's been here for maybe about a week, I think. So he's already, you know, making friends with the people that speak Spanish, of course. Um, you know, he's veteran, experienced. I, I, I liked the way he was uh, anticipating play and moving through play and saw some good finishing from him and a finishing drill too. So overall, my first impression is really, really good, which stands out from 
the two previous guys here I thought were utter trash the first minute I saw him. Well, that's a little harsh to Freckle Hair. He's he's fine. He's just really he's slow. just old. Yeah, old and slow. So Jimenez stylistically plays very similar to Frank O'Hara, actually, except just not that dirt slow. You know, experienced, good, salty, good movement, good reading, good combination play. You know, exactly like Franco, except not that glacially slow. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic that he's going to be a good contribution. You know, if he's going to come off the bench late in games, great. If he's going to start some games, great. I, I liked what I saw on the first viewing. Except we have a problem. Oh, yeah? Well, he doesn't have a visa. Oh, he he can't play. Yet. Yeah, he doesn't have a visa yet. Yeah, his uh, his uh, coach said in the in the conference call later. He said that his appointment is Monday uh, in Toronto. So um, based on that, coach saying that he'll go up there. You guys know how it is. It's like three to five days or whatever you know work days, and and hopefully he'll get it. And then so he won't be available this weekend, but he sh- he would hopefully cross your fingers he'll be available uh, the next game, which I think is Vancouver. Oddly enough. That's and yet, Cervania uh, got to play for Toronto last week. Well, let's just say that I would imagine, I'm not an immigration lawyer, but I imagine that it's very different getting a visa in Canada than it is in the United States. Oh. I bet yeah. you that it's not the same. <laughs> oh, I mean, do you think uh, the, the partnership between the U.S. and Canada, I don't think Brandon had to have any change to, you know, like a, a, a straight-up visa the way that, um, Jesus Jimenez does. Yeah, I mean, Brandon's an American going to Canada, and Jimenez is a Spanish guy coming from Canada to the United States. Different. You know, it's not, not the same. Okay, all right. Hi, this is Thomas Roberts. Yo, this is Brian Reynolds. And this is Chris Richards. We just want to congratulate Buzz and the Third Degree Podcast on y'all's 200th episode. And we just want to thank you for all the support towards us and FC Dallas over the years. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Buzz, I don't know why you did this. I don't know if you were trolling for episode 200 clicks mm. or whatever you're doing, but uh, you made me uh, flip you the bird on the video uh, tease of this podcast <laughs> when you promised to answer the question. Yeah. Is Paxton a six? No, no, no. The question is, is it time to play Paxton as a six? No. The answer is no, Buzz. Can we just end it right there and leave and go back to normal programming, please? (laughs) Yeah. If you agree with Peter, you can turn it off right now. The the question came from- Oh, my God. If you tell me you think he should be playing at the six, you and I are going (laughs) to- Well, the question came from a patron, and if you're a patron, you get to suggest topics, and if- if they're good, I'll either do a burn on them or I'll, if it's a topic I think people would be interested in, we're going to do it on the podcast. In this all case, right. we have people all the time. And the reason the person, the patron asked for this was because they were listening to another podcast preview. I didn't ask which one and I didn't listen to it. But the person on that podcast said they can't wait for Dallas to make this guy a six. That's the answer to all their problems. Oh, my so God. So I think it's worth discussing. I'm not saying I don't agree with you. I'm just saying it's worth discussing. So you said no, Dan. Do you want to take a crack at it? You want me to go? Uh, I, I, I can also say no. No. Yeah. Okay. So here's. Here Come on, I, Dan. Not <laughs> up. Be, oh, be confident in your stance, please, sir. I mean, well, yeah. I, Hold the I mean, wall, I can, Dan. I can give a bigger answer. I mean, like, the, the, I think the way this team plays with a six currently, I'd rather just kind of you know have two more defense first fullbacks play a traditional midfield without a six and just know that Paxton is going to cover that ground still 
Yeah, this is the thing here. I kind of I'm going to say what Dan said, kind of. Um, Paxton by himself in a vacuum, Peter. Yes, 100%, not a six. Paxton, there's a difference between a, a person who is willing to play def defense, who presses, and who doesn't tackle, but steals balls off of people. They call it a tackle, but it's not a tackle. Mm -hmm. he, 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 he nips the ball off of people. He covers a lot of ground. And he's willing to do the dirty work. All those things are terrific. They're the reason why he's a great eight, box to box eight, in a vacuum. That's all true. There's a difference between being that guy and being an actual defensive six, where you are tactically tied to the position in front of the center backs. You're, you're, you're working sideline to sideline. You're reading games and, and putting yourself in position to turn plays back. You're intercepting. Those two things are very different. Now, could Passon be that guy? He could be. There's lots of cases where guys that were eight, and somebody pointed out Dax McCarty to me as an example of this, had become great sixes. It's definitely true. So the question becomes that in this particular system, given the fact that there's another striker here now, given the fact you're looking for alternative formations to maybe get that guy into the game, given the discussion of who's going to make way, passing as a six or passing in a double pivot where it's maybe two, as Dan just said, two traditional eights side by side, like England used to do for a million years. You know, maybe that's, it's not passing playing as a ball dogging, hard tackling six, but maybe passing in a double deep eight next to a six, like a Paxton Edwin combo might be pretty good with a sort of pure 10 Jesus in front and then Jimenez above that, you know? So I'm not going to say yes, the time is here to play Paxton as a six because I don't think that's true. I think the time is perhaps here to consider playing Paxton as a deep playmaker and um, perhaps in a formation change or late in games when you're chasing to have three eights out there, basically take out a six and have Paxton be that deep guy behind Legette and Siki or something as an example. So it's not a straightforward answer that 100% Paxton can't be a six. We no. don't want Paxton to be Facundo. That's what we don't want. But, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, look, there are a lot of players on this team that could, in theory, play a lot of different positions. They would just suck at it, right? Yeah, like yeah. you could, you could ask Edwin Cerillo to play as uh, an eight or a ten. He could maybe try and do it, but he'd suck at it. And, or maybe the better way of saying it is, you, what you're doing is you're taking that player out of their natural position where they can yeah. have the best chance of excelling and adding something to the team. And I have no doubt in my mind that Paxton could play as a six and all different various formations but I also think depending on what type of six you ask him to play and the formation you stick him in I think you're you're stealing a guy at his age right because part yes. of that story is what how old he is right now where is he in his career what damage are you doing to his career if you take away from him the ask of doing the things that he's naturally really really good at yeah uh, and we're only and here's the thing that's frustrating to me when people bring this up we're only now getting to the point post-surgery where we're getting to see the old Paxton again right yeah and and I and it would I feel like it would be highway robbery to go oh you know we really need to pull him back and make him more defensive because he's so good at chasing people down and stealing balls off of people because we're I just feel like we're so close to seeing the Paxton that we saw back at that um, what, what was it the U seventeen World Cup or whatever U20, when he played yeah. against yeah the World twenty uh, when yep. he when he when he was just balling out against France I think it was and and it was so it we're so close to that again 
I just think trying everybody yelling or making this claim that he'd be a better six is one people who really <laughs> don't understand who he is as a player. Yes. And two, um, really shorting themselves of what I think is ultimately the treat to come in Paxton Pomacall. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I, I think there's a day, you know, as his career moves from its prime, which is still like five years away. Yes. To like, and it starts to come off the bottom end of that a little bit. And he's losing some of that explosiveness. Then there's a day where you can have a discussion of like Ted Eck or late stage Chad Deering, you know, come back to a deeper position. You know, you can be a six without crunching tackling, you know, I mean, Chad Deering was a crunching tackler and Eck were crunching tacklers, but Oscar Perea wasn't. And he played a lot of deep sort of six later in his career. You can look at guys like Baskets, who's the greatest six in the world, and he's not a crunching tackler either. So there, there is a day where Paxson may make this adaptation. I agree that it shouldn't be now. I do think there's a space for him to be in a double pivot as a deep playmaker next to a pure six. You know, then I think we there's that may you may see that this year quite a bit. Um, you know, late games are in different formations, but um, I agree with you. No, it's not time to make Paxton a pure six yet. Yeah, and 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 again, maybe some people that say he should be a six don't mean it as a singular six the way that uh, Grezo used to play this position, right? Yeah, he's uh, not. And, no. and maybe and and maybe so. I need to give people some uh, some leverage to to make that claim without assuming that's the type of position they're in. The other the other problem with the idea of making a Paxton a six in this club is they don't have anybody else to replace him with. Who's playing that role, at least in this current formation? Yeah, right now, no. If you pull Paxton back to the Facundo Cerillo position, who's taking his place? And if you tell me it's in Sebling, I'm going to laugh at you. No, if you if you pulled him back next to Edwin, then you would only have one other guy high, and it would be more of a ten. So it would be it could be Siki, but it more likely would be Legette. It would be Jesus. It would be Velasco. It'd be more of a pure ten type. Play. Again, no one's a pure ten anymore. You right. still have to play defense because you're going to press and all that stuff. But it would be a freer kind of high player in that shape. And then Siki wouldn't enter into the combo. Siki's going to be back and still be Paxton's backup in a deep spot. You know, um, it, it would be a different kinds of guys that you were using at full swings. And it literally is like five or six guys that could be on the current roster alone that aren't eights. They're more of these, you know, modern tennis kind of dudes that we have, you know, yeah, or, or two strikers, you yeah, know, and I, just not have a guy. In I'm way. interested to see what the Jimenez guys brings to the team, because there's a yeah. part of me that feels like there's a better, there is a different and better tactical formation for this team uh, that just needs to be, uh, uh, you know, it's going to come at the expense of somebody. And I don't know who yeah. that is. I don't know if it's Facundo or Cerillo or uh, Areola. Uh, I don't know who it is, but somebody ha- is going to have to come off the field to allow an actual goal scorer to go up top and bang goals in. Because yeah, that's, don't, yeah, don't be shocked if you see a Jesus for a combo up top with Paxton and somebody, maybe Edwin or whoever it could be as double central mids like in the old school days. Now, Paul Ariel on the right works fine with that. Velasco always wants to come under underneath. So maybe it's a lopsided shape that happens a lot in modern football. So um, there's going to be some interesting, look, this club hat now has more pieces that are capable of starting than I think it's ever had before. They've gone out and got real challengers in five, not every spot, but five or six spots. So you're going to see different variations over the course of the season. It's not going to be because in the past it was like, we barely could figure, figure out a whole 11, you know, sometimes it was a whole five and then you just plugged in whoever you had. Now it's like, not only do we have 11, we got 13, 14, 15, 16, and we got to figure out game to game who's going to play. Like, like for example, I had a conversation today about Facundo and Edwin as in the current shape 
you know, which, what guy does what. And a lot of it was, will come down to obviously whoever, if someone gets hot, that's different, but tactical matchups. Like, do you want a better presser? Do you want a guy who's going to cover side to side? Do you want a more tactical sit in guy that's going to hold the shape better? So game to game, you're going to see the choice in, in that position based off of some of those tactics, you know, which is a nice thing to have. If you're a coach is that ability to make those kinds of decisions. Yeah. Daniel, uh, Buzz and I prattled on quite a bit there. Would you like to interject <laughs> any of your wise and sage observations? No, I think you guys covered absolutely everything possible. Oh, I just knew Peter was going to have a red hot Paxton was a six take. <laughs> well, <laughs> came in guns blazing. <laughs> well, no, here, let me, let, I'll tell you a quick story about that. So back when, uh, when I first found out about Paxton, uh, it was because of Andy, right? So Andy Swift, who uh, had chaperoned him on an all-star team from the Dallas Cup to, I think it was Berlin. And it's the famous story about Paxton going on to becoming yeah. the MVP of the tournament and playing with the all-stars and getting to be coached by Andy's hero, Zico, and the whole thing, right? Yep. And from there, you got to see, pa I started watching Paxton play. And I said, I said the same thing to Andy many people have said here, which is, you know, I wonder if Paxton wouldn't be better at six. And and I, I thought Andy was going to slap me. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when he was like, no, no, no. Watch what Paxton is good at doing. He's good at ball progression. He's good at playmaking he's good at all these other things and this is what makes him so special is that he's a an american kid that can play this creative position but he also is a box-to-box -box midfielder and if you put him way back in the if you stuff him in the second half of the field you're really removing what he's magic at his real value and so when i began to see it that way that's what changed my opinion on it and i just don't feel like we're i, just, I would be bummed out to feel like we're at the point where paxton has to be the six i'm not saying he can't do it i just don't think that's the right use of him agree the end thank you to coming to my yeah. ted talk yeah go dan i will say when you when you speak to him and say hey what do you think about playing six he laughs <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i've seen him do it he, he they used to occasionally ask him to do it in um the academy you know when they had capis and when they had uh, brain padilla yeah. and they had brandon and they had jesus there'd be times where paxton would be playing as a six you know where they wanted a lot of heavy passing from that spot you know now granted that's a very different level than the pro game but you know people have always wondered about that with him and that's why i just thought it was worth a this is a podcast right so what we do we talk about ideas and concepts so i thought it was worth the discussion yes and I blather on. Yeah. Apologies. It's all good. Um, it's a hot point. Hey, guys. Andy Swift here. Congratulations on your 200th episode. And Buzz, for you in particular, no one works harder than you do to cover our beloved team. So not only congrats, but also a big thank you for all you do. Coming up next, where, where, how, do they, how do they turn this thing around, Buzzard? How do they make this better? As they well, got the Galaxy coming up, who didn't get to yeah. play this weekend. I mean, and don't have Chicharito. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that... Jesus Ferreira, Paul Ariola, and Alan Vasco will continue to start. I, I can't imagine that changing. Bernie hit a blast in practice today, though. I will give him that. O'Brien's back training, but he's coming off of an knock, so you wouldn't throw him right in there anyway, I wouldn't think. Um, Lil Jet, they're trying to push. He played 45. They're trying to push him higher, so they'll want him to go more like 60. Paxton, of course, is Paxton. Uh, the question of Facundo versus Edwin will depend on how they – think LA will line up. I I'm guessing I, I'm going to assume they'll stick with Facundo just to give him a couple of games at the start of the season, because he apparently had a really, really good spring. I didn't see it in the game. I watched, I thought he was horrible in the game. I watched, but the, 
right towards the end there, but coach seemed to think he had earned that spot. So I'll assume it's good enough for now. Farfan's a no brainer. Paz is a no brainer. Martinez. I mean, Nolan Norris is balling out and is way ahead of schedule and is now fourth on the depth chart, but there's no way they start him over Martinez. Um, based on the game last game, I would start Giovanni. I thought in that 20 minutes, he looked electric. There's more I want to see there. I think he should be in. We'll see how coach feels about Tuomasi. The big question is Ibiaga versus Nikosi. I thought Ibiaga made multiple mistakes and looked nervous, looked uncomfortable. And based on how good I thought Nikosi had been this spring, I think Nikosi will start based on what I saw in training. I think he'll start. Um, so that's what I am expecting is Nikosi with you flip a coin and whether you like Tuomasi or Giovanni, but I would like to see Giovanni, frankly, based on what I saw in that uh, short stint he did. So that's my group. All right. Well, there's uh, Saturday, 7.30. It is game number two of the season at the stadium. And since, uh, Dan, as we said, you were the only one actually at the game between the three of us, why don't you uh, – now my understanding, because I saw this play out over uh, social media at the beginning of the game, um, was something occurred – with fire and the sound system and everybody having to manually sing the national anthem. Could you please explain that story? Cause that sounds very exciting. Yeah. So, uh, they, the team was really bought in on the whole burn thing. The flamethrowers on top of the, the shield logo, uh, a firing higher than ever. They have two gigantic flamethrowers, which were in green boxes that just looked like, recycling bins but with the ball the you know the the ball from the the current logo on the side well these things were flamethrowers that were shooting like 30 what? feet in the air either side of the players tunnel they, right up by the fans well you know in front of the fans um <laughs> they then put them on the field behind the goal so i don't know if the plan was if Dallas scored that they would then go off there, kind of like how Seattle has them on the goal stanchions. Oh, okay. Um, obviously, we didn't get to see that. <laughs> um, but supposedly, uh, you know, these, the, I mean, it was very intense. It was a lot higher than, than I thought that they would have anything going. Supposedly, <laughs> they set off the fire alarms, which then, as the PA system is about to go into the national anthem, you know, just kind of muted that automatically. So everyone's kind of standing around. The players are kind of going through a bit of a warm up, confused why there's silence. And eventually we get to the, the support section just starts singing the national anthem. Did the whole stadium eventually do it? Uh, no. Just the supporter section. Uh, for the most part, yeah. I mean, oh, you know, you get some participation, but it's like anything. Everyone's kind of, uh, you know, dead to the world at that point. Well, word around the campfire was that yet they actually did test that system. Uh, it didn't cause any problems, but, you know, game day is different, I suppose. And I, I'm pretty sure you will not be seeing those flamethrowers at that same location in this next game. They're going to be somewhere else, I understand. So, uh, As long as they keep them. Yeah, I cool. think they're cool. But, like, if you guys have ever been to a Mavericks or a Cowboys game, when they have that pyro, you can feel it way up in the stands. That stuff is hot. I was amazed when I saw yeah. them where they were. I thought, there's no way they're putting those right there. And they did, but, you know. 
Well, now that you mentioned the green boxes, I saw them up against the wall, and I'm like, and there's no way they turned them on there. There's like people three feet away from yeah. that. So when you said they rolled them out, okay, that makes more sense. Uh, that is interesting. So I guess you're going to report back to me, Dan, that there are no lasers yet. There are no lasers. Stays look better, though. Mm. Every time it gets better. Yeah, yeah, they, they did look good. Uh, it was it was interesting watching the She Believes Cup game because they actually had the uh, the trophy podium behind the goal, and the fireworks show from that was incredible. Hmm. So like, it was good to see them add add to the shield and the you know the flamethrowers on top of that and the smoke machines and everything else. It looked like they've added more lights to it now. The uh, I don't recall the FC Dallas lettering being lit up last season. Hmm. Hi, everyone. It's Coach Dave Durr. Just want to wish Third Degree a happy 200th episode. My favorite pundits in all of Dallas, actually in all of the country. Happy anniversary, guys. I, I just noticed this, and I have no idea if this is planned, but they announced the new announced sellout number for SC Dallas apparently is 19,096. It's 1996. It has been for a I few know. Years. Why am I so dumb that I didn't recognize that it's 1996? That's fantastic. Oh, I didn't even think until you pointed yeah, that there's out. There's an I extra zero in there, that. but that's so clever. I love it. Uh, you, you think I have no idea, purpose? but I love it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend oh, like it's real on purpose. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, very good. Okay. So, uh, anything else? Uh, I, I mean, I, um, the only other thing I think to talk about. Uh, unless Buzz, you got something else you want to chat about? Is uh, I, I'm interested in if either one of you had a chance to check out the new MLS season pass setup and any reports back or thoughts about uh, it. I watched the the FC Dallas game uh, on my computer. I thought it looked terrific. Um, I I've the, the 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 difficulty there is in finding the replays is amazing. Peter, your, your image with the instructions on how to find it were very helpful to lots of people who have struggled. <laughs> I can't believe how many times I've had to answer that damn question. Do you know where I got that? Taylor Twelman tweeted it out because he was he was getting absolutely hammered yeah. about that. The, the other thing I saw today, and I totally agree with this, is that apparently the league recap goals fest kind of recap show, I'm assuming it's 30 minutes or whatever, is behind a paywall. How dumb is that? Put your recap show out in front where the whole world can get it. I think that's dead on point. Yeah. Whoever made that point, well, I thought they were money. So, is it not on YouTube? Because that's where they used to. This put is it. apparently the new, you know, it's the new one for part of the MLS Pass. Is they have this recap kind of show. I didn't look on YouTube. I just saw that someone said it's behind okay. the paywall. You can't watch it if you don't have it. So I thought, well, that's pretty dumb. Put it in front of the paywall so that people can come across it and check the league out. I mean, that's one-on-one league selling to me. You know, I, I don't know. I didn't, like, admittedly, I did not look at YouTube. Maybe it's there. I just was seeing that people complain about it on Twitter. I thought, man, that's a good point. Put it out there. Have you have you checked it out at all, Dan? Um, so I did watch the start of the Nashville game before I left for the stadium. That looked cool. Um, you posted that picture of the, the whip around show where they were just kind of backs to the screen, backs to the camera staring at two big screens that looked weird as hell that was the that was the and apparently they they stopped doing that later in the evening and they sat them in chairs but i don't know i mean there's a lot of work to be done but in terms of the the whip around 360 show that was the most well there was two parts of that show that i thought were really really weird one was 
the director's decision to repeatedly give us a camera angle of the four hosts watching the two the wall the wall videos or video walls yeah, like that weird. didn't make any sense whether they're in a chair or they're staying we don't need to see them watching the games I thought that was weird. And the second one, and the one that completely threw me for a loop, was that they started taking commercial breaks during that show. So there are, you know, at, at any minute, there's six games going on simultaneously that they're supposed to be whipping around. And at some point, they just went to commercial break and ran like two minutes of commercials. It was weird. I do have one one thing I didn't like. So, uh, you know, up in the press box, normally you kind of stick the replay on because you've got that minute delay. If something big happens, you can't catch it. Uh, you know, you, you can catch it on the replay. Um, with every provider, whether it's ESPN or whatever, if you've got low bandwidth for whatever reason, you know, it drops the, the quality. Right. Apple doesn't seem to have that. It just craps out entirely. Because, you know, FCLs doesn't have the best Wi-Fi. Um, it just, yeah, it, it just completely craps out and pauses the, the stream. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I, unless something's changed dramatically since I was working on these things, Apple has variable bitrate in their player and in the stream. It's possible that at the stadium, the bitrate is just the, 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 the bandwidth is just too low that they, it just, it gets so low that it just decides to blow out. You know what I'm saying? Instead yeah. of giving you a super pixelized picture. Yeah, it was just interesting, you know, after years of using, you know, whether it be ESPN Plus or the box casting that they put on their website or, you know, whatever other manners we've we've had of streaming mm -hmm. games, uh, Twitter being another one. It, it, that was the first time that it's just been, it grinds to a halt. And the, That's interesting. Hmm. You know, the, the internet wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. It absolutely was for the She Believes Cup game. But, yeah, I, I hope that's not the norm. Well, you know, as with any video streaming, your mileage is going to vary based on the quality of the data of the bandwidth you have at home. And, you know, in theory, as long as you've got somewhere around 75, 80 meg, you should be able to get a solid uh, 1080p, you know, full bitrate stream down from Apple for that. Now, depending on, you know, at the device or who else is streaming stuff in your house at that particular time or traffic in your neighborhood or something that may impact it. Um, so I don't know if maybe that was what was going on. So many people are on the Wi-Fi network at the stadium that it just couldn't, you know, it couldn't uh, deal with it. But I, I, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the media one, uh, actually, you know what? The media one's been a bit funny lately. They have two. Uh, they have, like, a. I guess they've probably got a mesh network or something. And there's just been some, you know, it'll oh, switch you between the two. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's possible that, you know, uh, it's also possible that with the new, all the new stuff they're having to do, they're actually having to throw people extra devices onto that network, too. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, yeah, I think the big takeaway from the weekend is, and I, I hope everybody got to notice just the superior quality of the production in terms of the video uh, resolution. Uh, 1080p is instantly better than anything you see on your average NFL, NBA, baseball, or hockey uh, broadcast. It, it, it is really, really good. Uh, go ahead. It was going to say, it was a bit funny before I went to the game. I was like, oh, let me watch the preview, uh, the previews that uh, FC Dallas put out. It was funny watching that in, uh, you know, kind of like a 4K quality rather than, yeah. you know, whatever they normally do through the website. I have a comment. Yeah. That 
Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Sorry. I really enjoyed Daniel Slayton, Mark Falwell's uh, new partner. Uh, apologies, of course, to our good friend Steve Davis. But I thought she was fantastic. I mean, obviously, there were some inexperience working together between her and Mark, a little bit of stepping on each other from time to time. That will get ironed out with practice together, of course. But um, I thought she was just tremendously on point. I thought all of her comments were really, really good. I, I'm, I'm rarely in that impressed by somebody the first time I hear him. I, I don't know why I've never heard her before. Maybe it's because I don't watch other teams broadcast, but I thought she was fantastic. You know, she knew all the Dallas players knew what they were, knew what she, her comments about them and what they were doing good and bad and what they ordinarily do well and poorly. Uh, all of it I thought was really good. I, I was really impressed with her. So credit to her. She was terrific. That's funny because uh, they put, for whatever reason, they switched from the, the clean feed that's going to the scoreboard uh, in the press box and, and put it on the Apple feed. Um, and for whatever reason, had left the commentary on pretty loud. And I couldn't help but notice she really confused the whole um, situation when uh, the when Ibiaga plays that back pass badly and then makes that really great recovery because she's rattling on about he didn't ref didn't point to his ear he didn't go to VAR he didn't go to VAR well that's because play was stopped he didn't have to stop play by and give that signal yeah fair. like that's that's a basic that led to a Minnesota journalist asking for an, a pool uh, question because then he's watching it and not grasping <laughs> that the ref did check that VR did. I'll check tell you a funny it. story about that Minnesota um, guy is he messaged me and I'm like, dude, I'm camping. What are you messaging me for? He's like, Dan Crook's the pool guy. I'm not Dan Crook. Message Dan Crook. I'm not there. Come yeah, on, Buzz. Yeah. Everybody knows when you need stuff like that, yeah. you're the I'm man. Like, dude, I'm not to. even in the building. What are you asking me? Yeah, it just seemed like I, I didn't hear the whole com the like the, the whole game, obviously, but I was like, that is such a mess up of a huge crucial moment of a game that leads to this big misunderstanding of how the entire system works over video. Well, review. I missed that part. Other than that, I thought she was excellent. Yeah. that you know, they're changing it up on Mark this weekend. He has somebody else different. He has a different woman with her, with him this oh. weekend. So it's not even the same crew. And I also say the other thing that's a little bit jarring is that it, it is the theory that these are supposed to be neutral crews, right? Yes. They're not, home crews anymore so trying to hear these people act in that way after years of being the home crew i think is an interesting thing that's going to take some time uh the other element that i i have to give props to for as little as i checked it out um but from all reports and kind of me skimming through the games and 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 checking it out i'll be damned if the sinking of the local radio doesn't actually by and large work there were a couple of uh, hits and misses there but by and large it sinks pretty nicely that must be some new thing that somebody invented since i was doing this last mm -hmm. in the last few years because i didn't there was n nobody could figure that out three or four years ago so now they apparently they figured that out and that worked pretty yeah. well so that's a very nice feature it's, for it's, them to have it's just used sure. the tuning yeah app. it's the it's the same tech <laughs> yeah. peter as like a dump out loop back on a you know radio they just slide yeah, it. an audio yeah. dump yeah. 
I'm just interesting how they, I mean, I don't want to bog down in the technical part. I'm just interested in what they're doing back at the radio station and or audio, you know, uh, uh, internet stream to mark all those things to make that work, how they're, how they're making that happen. Um, and what the collaboration is between the truck, if it happens at the truck and back at the, the I'll try and find out. I assume it's happening in the truck. I will try and find out. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, I was really pleased to see it work because I think it's a, a super kick ass yeah, feature. Yeah. I didn't, apologies to, it was at Owen and Steve, apologies to them. I didn't try it. I went with the main broadcast because I was, you know, sitting at my computer and didn't really. Yeah, I, I should have asked Owen this the other day, and I haven't yet. I'm interested to see what happens with that because Owen's Owen's a full time employee of the Stars, and I believe if I if I understand this correctly, he was given permission to miss a Stars event to do this, and I I would anticipate there are going to be dates where Owen's not available to do FC Dallas because he has a a, a Stars priority, so somebody's going to have to fill that role. Who it is, I don't know. Um, unless well, you guys John Arnold something. says he's doing some of them, so I don't know which position he's going to be the play-by-play uh, guy. No, he's covering. For I mean, Steve. that would be my assumption, but you never know. So Steve will do play-by-play, possible. Yeah, Steve's not before, or Tyler. Did, did, you know, yeah. they got they got guys. Or uh, Tyler was pretty good. You know, their their social yeah, media guy Eddie good. has done that kind of work before. Maybe they'll slide him in there. Some, you know, hmm. interesting. Yeah, there was lots of cool stuff, Buzz. You were uh, you were spot on about the graphics so package. Good, right? mm, uh, yeah. It, yeah, like the little interstitial, the little wipes and stuff with the two teams, yeah. and the it's got like the year the club was established, kind of hidden in there nicely. Some of the animations are really cool. I like the guy hosting. Uh, the studio stuff, I think he's really good. He drives the conversation. He doesn't let everybody get out of hand. Um, I have no idea what's going on with that woman's pink outfit. She mm. looks like she's uh, dressed as a superhero. Um, but uh, overall, I, I was really impressed with the launch of, uh, yeah, of MLS good. Season Pass. I, I think the one question that I'm dying to find out this weekend, because this is the first weekend where all the games aren't free, is how Apple and MLS decides to divvy up and show the 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 quote unquote 40% of games that are going to be available without an MLS season pass and whether those are made available to everybody or to people who have an Apple TV plus Yeah, does that start this week that, that we find out? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the problem is is if you log into the if you log into the the Apple TV app and look at the schedule, all of the games are listed as season mm. pass. But if you go to the MLS website, there are 14 games this weekend, six of which, one of which is the Fox game, yeah. right? So now after that, there's five games that are listed as Apple TV free. Okay. Now, if you go back to the original press release, there are three tiers that they talk about. There are all the games for everybody, who, for anybody that has uh, MLS season pass. Then there is going to be, quote, a selection of games made available to people who are Apple TV subscribers. And then there will be a number of games available on Apple TV for anybody. And that's where the discrepancy is as to how they're going to divvy yeah. that up and what they're going to make available and whatnot. Either way, this particular weekend, the Dallas LA game is going to require an MLS season pass. It's yeah. not one of the free. Well, games. if they end up putting five or six games a weekend free, that's pretty good. I mean, that's way more than I was expecting. So that'll be, I mean, we'll find out. Right. But you know, that's, that turns out to be true. Again, yeah. though, what's free? I know. I know. Is it free to people who have a I subscription? I, know what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I'm saying we'll find out, but hopefully that's what it is. Yeah. Well, I get, here's my next question. If you paid the 80 or 90 or whatever, however many bucks, and you found out that 40% of those games are going to be free without any kind of subscription, would you be pissed off about that? No. 
Okay. Granted, I got mine free with my season ticket. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the, I, the way I look at things like that is that I'm paying for that to watch my team. So, like, yeah. if I if there are really other what games it comes that are free, it, it's like yeah. it barely even I barely even notice. You know, I think there yeah. should be some free because I I'm, I'm, I care about the league selling itself to casual fans to expand the audience. So yes, there should be some free ones. Would I be mad if it's sixty percent or forty percent? No, I don't think I would. As long as as long as I get to watch my team, I'm good. Yeah, fast and watch Oscar stuff. of course down in Orlando. Some. Yep, for sure. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on the, the progress of that and see what kind of changes they make. And I do wonder if uh, the season goes on, if there's ever a point where they offer a lesser expensive version that is mm. just your they team. They should, I think. Yeah, I would. If it's me. Of course, it's easy for me to say I'm not a CEO of a company, but it's easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> And here's the other thing that really is the the pro for uh, MLS. Now they don't they're not under any uh, obligation to share uh, viewership numbers in any way, shape, yeah. or form. There's no. I mean, there. I'm sure everybody's high, acutely aware of what the numbers are through their own analytics, but they don't have to share. Yeah, them. that's true. I mean, they'll be eventually telling people at other leagues what they are because they're trying to you know, want to get them. But you know, sure. Yeah, and Apple will do their Apple thing where they account anybody that got it free because they have a T-Mobile yeah. account. Uh, by the way, if you haven't heard this yet, if you have T-Mobile as a subscriber, T-Mobile has a uh, will give you a free MLS uh, season pass account if you have T-Mobile as your cell provider. Nice. I don't know if everybody knows that or not, so that's free to them. And, you know, so they'll count those people as subscribers, people that were Apple yeah. TV, you know, all or season ticket holders. You know, so that'll be interesting to see what the yep. number turns out to be if they ever announce one. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I've just kind of dwaddling yeah. on now. Anything else, Dan? Uh, nope. Okay. Buzz? Yes, I want to say thank you to the people that sent in some kind uh, congratulations messages, and that would be Dan Hunt, Oscar Perea, Coach Dave Deer, Jeff Kassar, Johan Gomez of Chum Chat, Andy Swift, Thomas Roberts, Brian Reynolds, and Chris Richards. Thank you to all of those lovely, wow. lovely people whose messages will be interspersed throughout this podcast when it goes live. Uh, awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Third Degree, the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Shop Soccer90.com for all your FC Dallas, U.S. Men's National Team, European gear. Thanks to Soccer90 being with us for such a long time as a sponsor. You can get all your FC Dallas gear from them. You know you get 20% off with code ThirdDegree at checkout. Soccer90.com. Some exclusions apply. Well, happy 200th episode to my good friends, Dan and Buzz. Thanks, Peter, and thank you for uh, being along on this voyage with us. Dan, thank you. It's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, hopefully, well, It's not coming to an end. I know. Buzz. I'm just Don't saying it's like, been you – know. I, I was about to get to the uh, – hopefully it's going to be fantastic as we go forward, but it's been 200 great episodes so far. Yep, for sure. Here's to another 200 then. Woo! <laughs> thank you, FC Dallas Curious fan. We will uh, speak to you for episode 201 next week, hopefully with a win on Third Degree of the Podcast. Please win. Third Degree, the Third Degree Net Podcast. 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 Thank you.